Chapter 8 of Workhouse Characters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lassane Lavoie of Swansea, Illinois. Workhouse Characters by Margaret Nevinson. Chapter 8 The Suicide. The Suicide. In she plunged boldly, no matter how coldly. The rough river ran over the brink of it. Picture it, think of it, dissolute man. She lay in bed in the long, clean sick ward, a fine-grown and well-favored young woman with masses of black hair tossed over the whiteness of the ratepayer's sheets. Such a sight is rare in a workhouse infirmary, where one needs the infinite compassion of Christian charity or the hardness of habit to bear the pitiful sights of disease and imbecility. She looks as if she ought not to be here, I observed interrogatively to the nurse. Attempted suicide, brought last night by the police, wrapped in a blanket and plastered in mud from head to foot. Magnificent hair? Yes, and a magnificent job I had washing of it, my corridor and bathroom like a ploughed field. Usual thing. Might have killed her? Oh, no. These bad girls take a deal of killing. I sat down beside the bed and heard the usual story, too common to excite either interest or compassion in an official mind. She had been a nursemaid, but had left service for the bar, and there one of the gentleman customers had been very kind to her, and had walked out with her on Sundays and taken her to restaurants and the theater. Then followed the usual promise of marriage and the long delay, till her work had become impossible, and the governor had spoken his mind and given her the sack. I wrote to the gentleman, but the letter came back through the return letter office. He must have given me a false name, because when I called at the house, no one had heard of him. I had no money and I had to pawn my clothes and the jewelry he had given me to pay for food and the rent of my room. I dared not go home. They are very strict chapel people, and they told me I never was to come near them after I became a barmaid. And one day, the gentleman wrote, giving no address, and saying that his wife had found out about me and our friendship must come to an end. He enclosed two pounds, which was all we could afford, and asked me to forgive him the wrong he had done me. I seemed to go clean mad after that letter. I did not know he was married, and I had kept hoping it would be all right, and that he would make an honest woman of me. I thought I should have died in the night. I was taken with dreadful pains, so that I could not move from my bed, and though I shouted for help, no one heard till the next morning, when my landlady came to me, and she went for the doctor. Two pounds lasted me about a month, and then I had nothing left again, nothing to eat and nothing to pawn, and the rent always mounting up against me. My landlady was very kind to me, but her husband had gone off with another woman and left her with three children. She was often in want herself, and I couldn't take anything from her. There seemed nothing but the pond, and after the gentleman had played it down so low the whole world looked black and inky before my eyes. I just seemed to long for death and peace before everyone knew my disgrace. I came up twice to chuck myself into the pond 
and twice I hadn't the pluck. Then last night I'd been so sick and dizzy all day with hunger, I did not feel a bit of a coward any longer. So I waited till about it was dark, and then I climbed up on the railings and threw myself backwards. The water was bitterly cold, and like a fool I hollered, and then I sank again, and the water came strangling and choking down my throat. And I remember nothing more till I felt something raising my head and a dark lantern shining in my face. The nurse came about half an hour ago to tell me that I must go before the magistrates tomorrow. It seems rather hard when one cannot live and the police will not even let you die. No, I did not know that girls like me came to the workhouse. I thought it was only for the very old and the very poor. Perhaps if I had known that I need not have made a hole in the water. But must I go with the police to the court all alone against a lot of men? Oh, Mom, I can't. I should be so ashamed. And think of the questions they will ask me. And I was a good girl till such a short time ago. Won't one of the nurses come with me? Or will you? It is one thing to promise to chaperone a beautiful, forlorn young woman lying in bed, a type of injured youth and innocence, and another to meet her in the cold light of 9 a.m., arrayed in the cheap finery of her class. Her flimsy skirt was shrunk and warped after its adventure in the pond, and with the best will in the world the nurses had been unable to brush away the still damp mud which stuck to the gouged flounces and the interstices of the peekaboo blouse. A damp and shapeless mass of pink roses and chiffon adorned the beautiful hair, which had been tortured and puffed into vulgarity, and to complete the scarecrow appearance, her own boots being quite unwearable, she had been provided with a pair of felt slippers very much unevidence, owing to the shrinkage of the draperies. I am afraid I longed for a telegram or sudden indisposition, anything for an excuse decently to break faith. There are not even cabs near our workhouse, and so, under the escort of a mighty policeman, the forlorn little procession set forth to brave the humorous glances of the heartless street boys until the walls of the police court hid us, along with other human wreckage, from mocking eyes. Presently, a boy of seventeen or eighteen, small and slight, in the dress of a clerk, came up to my companion and hoped in a very hoarse voice that she had not taken cold. "'This is the gentleman,' said the girl, "'who saved my life the other night in the pond.' "'I don't know how I managed it,' said the boy, "'but I was passing along the heath "'when I heard you screaming so dreadfully "'that I rushed down to the pond and into the water "'before I knew what I was doing, "'for I can't swim a stroke. "'I just managed to catch your dress before you sank.' But the mud was so slippery I could hardly keep my footing and your weight was dragging me down into the deep water. Fortunately, I managed to catch hold of the sunk fence and that steadied me so I could lift your head out and you came round. Yes, I have a very bad cold. I had to walk a long way in my wet clothes and the night air was sharp. But never mind that. What I did want to say to you is that you must buck up, you know, and not do this sort of thing. Here we are now and we've got to make the best of it. And, all unconscious of the tragedy of the womanhood, the boy read her a simple, straightforward lesson on the duty of fortitude and trust in God.
Whilst he talked, my eye wandered round the court and the motley collection of plaintiffs, defendants, and witnesses. The preponderance of the male sex bore witness to the law-abiding qualities of women, for, with the exception of the girl and myself, the only other woman was a thin, gray-haired person, very primly dressed. "'Yes, that is mother,' said the girl. "'But she won't speak to me. She has taken no notice of me for more than a year.' I've been such a bad example to the younger girls, and they're all strict chapel folks. Lily Weston, cried a stentorian voice, and our case was bundled into the inner court, mother and daughter walking next to each other in silent hostility. The poor girl was placed in the prisoner's dock between two iron bars, as if she were some dangerous wild beast, whilst the gentleman, who was the real offender, ranged free and unmolested. Constable X-172 told the story of attempted suicide, and then the boy followed. Then the mother spoke shortly and bitterly as to the girl's troubles being of her own making. "'Anything to say?' asked the magistrate. But the girl hung her head low in shame and confusion, whilst the magistrate congratulated the boy on his pluck and presence of mind. The clerk came round and whispered in the ear of his chief, who looked at the prisoner with grave kindliness under his bushy white eyebrows. He had more sympathy than the laws he administered. "'Call Miss Spurling,' he said to the policeman, and then to the prisoner. "'If I discharge you now, will you go away with this lady, who will find a home for you?' "'Oh, yes, sir!' cried the prisoner with a burst of hysterical weeping as the bolts rattled from the dock and the kindly hand of the lady missionary clasped hers. A distinguished nonconformist once told me that our Anglican prayer book was a mass of ungranted petitions which, after careful thought, I had to admit was true, but at least on the whole I think our prayers for this particular magistrate have been answered. End of chapter 8 Recording by Lisanne Lavoie, 